episode 142 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you in part by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Hey guys, my name is Mark Reese. I'm a CRJ 900 pilot based in New York City. I've done some uh, cool things, got some scholarships, uh, done some charter work, done some airline work. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with a fellow Ohio State University. It's always great to talk to a fellow Buckeye, Mark Reese. And Mark is here to talk about scholarships. Mark has pretty much applied for every scholarship you could ever apply for. And he goes ahead and chronicles his time of applying for those scholarships, the importance of these scholarships, how to apply for those scholarships, some tips and tricks of what he did. Uh, If you are a new student, if you are a young student, if you're looking for any kind of money to pay for your flight training, Mark is definitely a great resource. So listen to this podcast, check him out, email him and you can also do some research on your own, but he has gotten a lot of money to pay for flight training as you will hear in this episode and he chronicles how he does it. So it's some great information and a very useful, useful tips that he can give you. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Instagram. If you want to support the podcast, you can check out our shop, shoppilotthepilot.com. You can also check out our Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot. I don't want to keep you guys much longer. I'm about to go fly here soon, so I got a quick intro, but I hope everyone's having a great day. And here, without any further ado, is Mark Reese. Mark, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. First thing I'll say is go Bucks. I always love getting Ohio State alumni in the podcast and uh, telling everyone how great Ohio State is. Oh, yeah. Always go Bucks. I'm actually wearing the hoodie right now. So can't wait to watch us play on Saturday, even though I have to work. But uh, yeah, go Bucks and... Uh, and uh, we'll see what Ryan Day's got for us. I know, right? I have to work as well. So I have to miss it. I mean, I don't know my schedule that day yet, but I'll probably have to miss that game, which would be sad. But we're going to be Nebraska by 100 anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I'm going to be like in between Gainesville turns. So I'm going to be like in Gainesville trying to watch it as I'm like doing the pre-flight checklist. But uh, but uh, after the pre-flight checklist, you got to turn everything off. So hopefully they're winning by then. Yeah. Wah, wah. Hopefully you get the first quarter or something, right? Yeah, so we'll see. Well, cool, man. Well, other than our Ohio State ties, we were talking before, we kind of know a lot of the same people. You know, uh, a lot of people that I have actually worked for, and it was kind of funny to just kind of reminisce and talk about those people and share similar stories in a way. But um, I want to take it back to to you and the early story of why you became a pilot. What was uh, your original inspiration for you wanting to even become a pilot in the first place? Uh, so I will say, uh, I was always kind of like the kid who liked to tinker with stuff. Um, you know, I took apart the remote, you know, any old stuff I would take apart, you know, see how it worked. So I was really kind of a hands-on kind of kid. And I was actually really into trains at first. And my mom would take me to the railway, railroad yard and all that cool stuff. But then we went to go visit my grandma in DC. And of course we took an airplane because I live in Colorado. You know, if you live in Ohio or Charlotte or wherever, you know, you can drive pretty much all along the East coast, but Colorado, you know, eight hours from Colorado, you're in like middle of Kansas or Utah. So you have to fly. And that was the coolest thing ever. Like the airplane is so much better than the train ever since then, like hooked airplanes. That was it. Like it's over. Like airplanes are so cool. It's awesome. So from then on out, you were kind of all about airplanes and you knew you wanted to be around them or did you know for sure you want to be a pilot? 
uh, I knew I wanted to be around them. It wasn't until I was eight years old that I was at a uh, gala. Um, so like the back in 2003, I believe like the HBO movie about the Tuskegee Airmen was coming out. And they had a gala in Denver. There's a museum that has a bunch of old warplanes. It used to be a, a base. So, you know, we're at this gala. My mom's like, hey, that dude's a United Airlines pilot. Go talk to him. Like she didn't even have to like finish a sentence. I was over there asking him questions. And he like turned out to be the right United Airlines pilot to ask. Uh, he had his own organization. He like helped get kids into aviation. It was like perfect, actually. And about six months later, he took me up in his own 182 Skyline that he had. And uh, ever he let me fly. And ever since then, I couldn't even see over the dash, but like he let me fly for, you know, five minutes. And ever since then, I wanted to be a pilot. If your mom never would have said, hey, he flies to United, go talk to him, would you have just found your way up to people and just started asking questions? Or do you think you just would have, it would have been a whole different experience? Uh, I think I still would have got there. Uh, I don't think I would have gotten there nearly as quickly, but I still, I think I would have gotten there. Like aviation is one of those things that, you know, every time you look up, you see an airplane. Um, so I think I would have still gotten there, but uh, yeah, that that definitely helped. But we'll talk about this later when we get to like the mentoring stuff I wanted to talk about. But if you are the kid that you just kind of tell people, like, hey, you know, I'm interested in aviation, then, you know, everybody's got an uncle, brother, cousin, you know, sister that is somewhere like maybe they're a baggage handler, maybe they're air traffic controller, you know, they can start getting you in the right places. Just let it be known, like, hey, I'm interested in aviation. Random people will be like, oh, my cousin does this and they'll, they'll help you get to where you need to go to. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I will definitely agree. I mean... When I was in high school, there was a kid that wanted to be a pilot. He's not a pilot now, surprisingly, but he wanted to be a pilot. I mean, he's still a pilot, but not an airline pilot. He wanted to go fly, and everyone knew him as kind of like the aviation kid. And everyone was probably, just like you said, they're like, hey, my brother does this. Or everyone kind of, not everyone, a lot of people know people in aviation. And as I've said on this podcast a lot, they want to help other people get into aviation. So just even telling people you want to get in aviation can really kind of fast track your career if you get in touch with the right people like you did. Exactly, exactly. So just, you know, the the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So just, you know, be that person that's always, you know, trying to get into aviation and people generally help you out. So how long was it from you talking to that, uh, being at the gala or talking to the United Pilot where you actually started flying yourself? Um, was it pretty much immediate right after that? Or did you have to take a couple of years and be at the right age? Or what was that process looking like for you? So this is, I guess that's the other thing I'll talk about. Like, uh, aviation's tough. Cause you know, you can't solo to your 16, right? So I think that United pilot and all the pilots that had those organizations, they kind of were good at keeping us like, you know, keeping us engaged, even though, you know, I was eight, I saw it eight years before I could do anything. Um, so basically I got really lucky. He actually had a program where in the summers, uh, it was called an ACE camp, you know, uh, OBAP still does them to this day. Um, basically it's a Monday through Friday camp. Like the first day you're going to do some classroom stuff. Second day, maybe we'll go out to an airport, do a young Eagles flight. Third day, maybe like, uh, I was in Denver, United Airlines training centers there. So we went to go do the simulators there. You know, we did whitewater rafting and like gliders. Like, so I actually like, you know, I didn't do it every year, but maybe every other year I did it. So it was kind of like, it just kept that, you know, that fire in me like, Hey, you know, you can fly, you can fly. And then when it came time to be 16, you know, I would, I was already kind of like, okay, you know, I'm into this flying thing. I really, really like it. Um, you know, I, this is what I want to do. Sounds like you're in like a boy scouts just for pilots. <laughs> basically, basically. And then, uh, so my story is kind of cool. Um, so I met him when I was eight 
and he had an organization called Our Shades of Blue. It's a national organization. And that's not actually who I got my, uh, my uh, solo from. It was another organization called the Mile High Flight Program. So another United Airlines pilot <laughs> in uh, Denver, same city, two different guys doing great things. There's this program where basically every month you go to a different field trip. So like, you know, in Colorado, we have the Air Force Academy. So like you'll go to the Air Force Academy one weekend, go travel around, tour around. Then the next week you'll go out to the airport. You know, next week you'll go do gliders, you know. So every month you do a different activity, right? And you have homework. So like it would be write a paper on, you know, the first, you know, whatever. Write a paper on, you know, who built the the P-51, you know, it's just stuff like that. So, you know, it's extra homework. You're in high school. You're not really trying to do it. So, but, you know, you do your homework. You get to go to these events. It's really cool. But at the end of the year, they interview you and they pick three to five students who are going to get a free solo paid for. So they'll pay for all your flight training, everything all the way up to your solo. And uh, they'll do that at 16 years old. So that's pretty awesome. Wow, that's really cool. So those two organizations really helped out, kind of spark this fire and even show you a way of of you to start training. Because like you, like we talk about all the time, training is so expensive. And just getting uh, your first, whatever, 10 hours, 20 hours paid for, however long it takes you to solo is pretty incredible. Yes, exactly. And the the story I always share with the, with the second United Airlines pilot is that uh, the first year I did the program, I was 15, so I wasn't eligible to solo. And I would always show up, like if the program started at 10, I would show up at like 10.03 or, you know, 9.59, you know, like basically right on time. And, you know, my homework was kind of, you know, I was trying to do it. So, you know, it was kind of, if it was 300 words, it was like, you know, 301. And basically by the end of the first year, I was like, yeah, I can't wait to win this next year. I was kind of, you know, cocky about it. And he was like, why would I choose you? And, you know, of course it takes you back. You think you, you know, I've been tinkering around with aviation since, you know, I was eight, you know, I thought I was, you know, this coolest guy. And he was kind of like, why would I pick you? You're late to everything. You know, you're not engaged in the sessions. Your homework is just okay. You know, why would I trust you with, you know, thousands of dollars? And I was like, oh, you know, and I've, I was kind of sitting in the car, like sad on the way home. And my mom's like, what's wrong? And I, you know, I told her what he said and she's like, well, he's absolutely right. We're not on time. We're not, you know, that next year, I was 30 minutes early to every single <laughs> every single event. I did all my homework. Like if it was due on Monday, it was in by Friday. Like everything I did because I knew that I wanted that scholarship more than, you know, I didn't want to do the homework. Like I wanted that scholarship. That was going to help me out so much, you know. So that next year, I blew it out of the water. Like I just tried so hard, you know, interview tried really hard, made sure I got straight A's in high school, like everything I could do to make sure I got that scholarship. That's amazing. I'm glad that he said that. I'm glad that he was open with you because a lot of people would just be like, eh, you know, like, good luck. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people, but yeah, we know who you are. You might get a chance, but he was able to give you some good constructive criticism. And it sounds like you're mature enough to accept that criticism and not take it as a personal attack and rather see it as a challenge to get better and get that scholarship. Exactly. And I actually, uh, when the pandemic happened, you know, I called him, you know, cause he's been through nine 11, you know, the oil crisis of 86, you know, all these different things. And I was like, Hey, you know, what's going on in the industry? Like this pandemic is going crazy. Everyone's losing their jobs. And I called him and he was just like, Hey man, I've been through all these things and we're still here. Oh, sorry. I'm still in New York city. That's nice. <laughs> it's good, man. Uh, uh, so 
it was just really good that I could still talk to him to this day. And I actually told him, I was like, Hey, you know, just so you know, what you told me way back in the day, you know, stuck with me. You know, why would I choose you? And he didn't even remember saying it, but it was just so impactful for me. So it's so funny. You never know the words that you will say to someone. That's why it's important to be very calculated and know what you're going to say and mean what you're going to say, because someone can take anything you say and they can, either take it out of context or not how you really meant, but that can really impact them in certain ways. And so that's why what he said was so impactful for you and why it's important to be careful what you say because you never know what people will actually take off your words, you know? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I thanked him again and he's like, dude, I don't remember that. But, you know, <laughs> I did. He's like, you won the scholarship? What's your name again? Right, exactly. That's funny. Um, would you have been able to pay for the flight lessons if it wasn't for the scholarships Were scholarships like a necessity for you? Uh, what was it looking like paying for, for flight school? Cause I know a lot of people listen to this. They always, they see how expensive it is and they see how difficult it is to pay for training. And I mean, to be honest, it is a lot, like it's a lot to kind of wrap your mind around those numbers, especially when you're eight years old to 16 years old, where money, I mean, either one doesn't make sense or you just see a huge number and you can't really understand how it could ever happen. Yeah. Um, so this is what I'll say about the money aspect. You know, I really hope we get to talk more about it in this podcast. Uh, but I think growing up, I always knew my career was going to be expensive. And the biggest thing for me was when I got to Ohio State, where we go, both went to school, the regional pilot was making 20 grand a year. So I always knew it was going to be expensive. Um, and, you know, of course, I was a person that always came up to the cockpit, you know, whenever I flew and everybody always say, don't go to the big school with the huge price tag because you're not going to be able to pay it back until you get to a major. And that's all what I heard. So I was always really, really hyper focused on the money. And my parents, I think they would have paid some of my private. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I, we just never really got there. <laughs> um, they were super supportive of everything, obviously. But they did say, you know, you need to get scholarships. But we weren't like we definitely could have paid for some of it, but not, you know, all of it, of course. So I always felt it on myself like, OK, well, if they're going to pay some, you got to pay some. So my way of paying some as a, you know, a 16 year old that just worked at the local ski resort, you know, for 10 bucks an hour. You know, I looked at it as, you know, my way is scholarships because, you know, ten dollars an hour minus everything, you know, gas and everything is not going to really go far. <laughs> so uh, so scholarships is my way of paying for it. So. I think they would have definitely helped me, but uh, probably not not all of it or anything. And when I was time to go to college, I really wanted to go to Purdue. Actually, sorry, Ohio State. That's okay. Um, you made the right choice. Yeah, I at did. least football wise. <laughs> and Purdue only gave me, I think it was maybe like they gave me like tuition, so I'd have to pay uh, room and board plus flight training, which you know is probably sixty grand over four years. So like, and my dad, I kind of looked at him. I was like, "So you're gonna pay all that, right?" And he's like. No. And then we broke it down. He said, you will have to contribute, you know, it was like 20 grand a year or whatever it was. And, you know, through loans, through grant, you know, you're going to have to contribute X and I'll contribute that, you know, so it was kind of one of those things where he broke it down to me as like a sophomore in high school, like, Hey, you're not going to, you know, we're not paying for everything. You got to share in that. So then that kind of lit the fire on me. Like, okay, well, I got to go get these scholarships. When you're talking about scholarships and I want to kind of take it back to when you were just interested in aviation and 15, 16 years old, getting ready to solo and getting ready to do all that. I mean, you hear all the time, uh, there's so many scholarships out there. There's so many, there's so much money out there for you to apply for. And everyone, I mean, I remember I was being told that all the time, but 
it seems very hard and difficult to find some of these scholarships. What did you do to search for the scholarships? Did you just find every scholarship possible and just apply for every single one? Uh, did you pick and choose? What was your mentality and what were you looking for when you're looking for scholarships and how did you look for scholarships? Uh, so 15, 16 wise looking for scholarships. Um, the big organizations are where you're going to want to start. Um, EAA, uh, is a big one, you know, the mile high fight program, which I got the solo scholarship from that one's, you know, tough. Cause not everybody lives in Denver, Colorado. Um, so that one's a little tough, but, uh, EAA, OBAP, all these organizations have scholarships that are nationwide. And I'd say most of the money for scholarships is in the learn to fly. Most people want you to just get your private or get your solo. So you're actually going to see the biggest amount of scholarships for those. So that one's going to take a lot of Googling, um, a lot of just talking to people. And I think the coolest one about uh, that I got was for the Experimental Air Aviation Association, EAA. They have chapters all around the country. So it's kind of like Boy Scouts. Like my chapter was 301. And it was me and my friend David. We had both come up through that Our Shades of Blue program. And we both applied. And, you know, I was a 4.3 student, you know, all the AP classes, all the honors, you know, worked a job, you know, tried to do all the, all the cool stuff to pop off the resume, right? And he was the same. And we were literally kind of like, you know, we'll see who gets it, you know, because we're kind of both neck and neck, you know, high scores, high everything. But these organizations are super nice. They actually liked our interview so much. They split the scholarship and gave both of us a scholarship. So that's the biggest thing with these scholarships. I would say, you know, just try and put your best foot forward and you don't know what will happen. Um, and sometimes you're not going to get them. I probably applied to 100 scholarships over my time. I got 12. So that's 12% success rate, but you know, it was the way I look like, look at it. If I get a thousand dollars, that's a thousand dollar essay I wrote, you know? Were you looking for, I know you said a lot of the, the actual money goes in kind of like your first learn to fly for your private, essentially or up to your solo, whatever it may be. Were you able to find specific scholarships? Like I'll pay for your instrument. I'll pay for your commercial. I'll pay for this. Or was it a thousand dollars here? $500 there, uh, $2,000. How did that kind of work out? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was definitely mostly like $500 here, a thousand dollars here. Like when I went to Ohio state, one of the ones I got was a book scholarship. So it was $500. Um, and then of course, uh, we'll get to this in a second, but like when I went to Ohio state, everything was paid for. So then that $500 went towards aviation. Cause that they didn't consider aviation like actual course fees. So they didn't pay for aviation, but, uh, but yeah, so like that $500, that's three lessons. So that's the way I looked at it. And I think with the, you got to like all the small amounts add up to big amounts. Um, the biggest one I probably got outside of my scholarship to Ohio state was probably a $2,500 one. So we're not talking about, you know, the $10,000 scholarships from one person. You got to build up a bunch of small scholarships, if that makes sense. Yeah. I remember when I was doing that, I would look at these, it was a bad mentality that I had. And I'd look at the scholarships and be like, it's only 500 bucks. Like how much can that actually help out? You know? So I guess the way to look at it is 500 bucks. Like you said, that's three lessons. That's something that you can go fly for three lessons and just find another scholarship and keep applying for it. Exactly. And what I tell people is I have a Dropbox account. Um, what I tell people is write a standard essay of kind of what you want to say in your scholarship essay. You know, it just has to be like, hey, Mar like, hey, I'm Mark. You know, I really, really want to fly. You know, I want to fly because of X, Y, Z. And to make my dream happen, you know, I make sure I get good grades. You know, I volunteer in my community. You know, I do all these things. I'm involved in these professional aviation organizations. And once people see that you're willing to put in the time, 
they're more more than likely willing to put in the time to you with the scholarship. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing. And I just have a folder. So basically, when I see a new scholarship, you know, I'll go into that folder and I'll be like, okay, I've already kind of written the same thing, and then I'll tailor it to that scholarship. Say, okay, this one's for um, OBAP. Okay, so I'll tailor it to that. This one's for NGPA. I'll tailor it to that. Or this one's for EAA. I'll tailor it to that. And then, you know, so you don't always have to write a new essay for every time. And then the biggest thing is you're going to need letters of recommendation. You know, you have to ask for letters of recommendation the right way. So you usually what you'll do is you'll include your resume. And I know it's high school. It's going to be like, you know, JV tennis, you know, <laughs> but, you know, you include your resume. Um, tell them what you're doing. You know, I volunteer at the church or wherever you do your volunteering. And, you know, this is a little bit about me. This is why I want the scholarship. And then give them enough time. You want to give them at least three to three to four weeks to get back to you. You know, these people are probably professionals. They've got a schedule. You know, then once you get that, then you just ask them later, like, hey, do you mind if I use this for future um, for future scholarships? So then, you know, if you see a scholarship that's due in two weeks, you just email them, hey, you know, I just want to make sure that we're still good, that I can use this recommendation letter for this scholarship. And they say yes, or they say no. Sometimes I've had people say no. But they're going to say yes more often than not. Then you've got, you know, you got your resume done. Do that, you know, pull your scholarship out of the out of that binder that you have on Dropbox. You know, change some stuff. You know, tailor it to that scholarship, and then you know, put in your letter of recommendation to send it off. And you know, you're not always going to get them. I only got 12 out of 100 that I applied for. But you know, when you do get it, that's you know, five more lessons or a, you know, a, an instrument rating or a solo or whatever it is. Absolutely. I mean, that's very, very good advice for anyone listen listening to this right now that is 15, 16, uh, who knows how, I mean, whoever old you are to apply for scholarships, like do everything you just said and make it work. I wish that I had someone telling me how to do that because it almost seems like it's it's too hard for some people. I mean, for me, it almost seemed like too much to try to get 500 here, 100 there, 500 there. But if you can kind of go at it the way you did, I think that's very helpful. Yeah, exactly. And I would say for all the people that are kind of like thinking, you know, because this for me was all high school, you know, so I was still in AP calculus and doing all this other stuff. Yes, it's going to get, you know, a little busy and sometimes you're going to miss scholarships. I, uh, you know, I think there's a big one for like Coca-Cola or something that I forgot to apply to, you know, but you just got to apply to the next one and, you know, keep going. Yeah. Just keep on going. Don't take it personally. They don't know who you are. You know, it's not like they actually hate you or anything. It's just that someone might have done better than you and just use that as fuel. Just like you use the, why would I choose you as fuel? Imagine them saying, why would we choose you and go back to the drawing board and make them, give them a good reason to choose you. Exactly. And uh, the last thing I'll say about scholarships too, is when I got to Ohio state, they have specific aviation scholarships and most universities you go to will have them too. So once you get to school, the scholarship applying does not stop. So at Ohio State, I remember, you know, I was kind of cool. It was like Rottler was on the committee. You know, Martin Rottler, uh, he did a couple podcasts with you. Um, he, my professor, um, your professor at Ohio State as well. He and I were cool. And I w said, hey, you know, I applied for this scholarship. It was just for first year aviation students. And he said, oh, you know, only two people applied. And I was like, really? I was one of those two. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. So, but sometimes you just got to apply. Some of these scholarships go unused. You know, sometimes, you know, if it's two people, you just got to beat out one other person. So what I would say, if you think that you're not going to get them, you don't know who else applied. You know, maybe other people got busy, forgot to apply. And I ended up getting that scholarship and they actually gave me feedback later. They said they liked my essay better and my GPA was 0.2 higher, you know? So it was just, yeah. So it was, you know, it's kind of like an easy, easy, I think it was a thousand dollars. It was an easy thousand dollars. <laughs> And that's more flight lessons for you, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is a good point. I've heard oftentimes that a lot of some scholarships don't even get applied to. So you might you might have a terrible essay, might have everything that isn't great, and you're just the only one applied, and they might still choose you. So you literally never know. Yes, and my buddy, uh, he actually got a scholarship from a, a, a organization in Ohio, the Ohio Regional Business Aviation Association. Um, they have great scholarships if you're an Ohio native. Uh, it was, I think, it was fifteen hundred or twenty five hundred dollars. Nobody applied the next year, so he just got another check for $2,500, and they said, hey, you know, nobody applied this year, but we still love your application and everything, so we got another, you know, more flight training, so. When you receive this money, is this, is there stipulations that this has to be used for aviation-specific things? Is it like, this has to be for a private, this has to be for instrument, or this has to be for books? Is there any stipulations to the money that you get? Uh... Oh, so some people are different. Um, so the organization of black aerospace professionals, OBAP, um, I'm very involved with them and I've gotten a scholarship from them. So they are the only ones that actually required me. Like it had to go to the chief pilot of my flight school and signed off. And like, it had to, like it had, I had to jump through all these hoops to make sure that it was used for aviation in my aviation account. But the most of the scholarships are going to, you know, operate on the honor system. Sometimes they just give you a check. Sometimes they'll give your university a check, um, but most of the time I say eight out of the 10, I probably just got a straight check. Um, but just though that OBAP one was the only one that said like, no, it has to go to your chief flight instructor. It has to, you know, it has to go through all the proper channels, but everyone else just cuts you a check. Gotcha. So OBAP was like, nah, we don't trust you hundred <laughs> percent. We need exactly, to make sure. Yeah. Exactly. That's funny. It's like, we've been doing it before, man. We've seen this before. <laughs> I want to go back a little bit to where you were in high school when you were applying for these scholarships. Were you flying in high school? Were you continuing with your solo? Were you continuing to get your private? And did you actually get your private before you went to Ohio State? Or did you just kind of use up all the scholarships you were able to get and you hit a stopping point at one time? Okay, so high school was kind of crazy. Um, So high school for me was, you know, I did that mile high flight program when I was 15. You know, 14, I was doing the R Shades of Blue stuff. And that, but I was still in high school, still in honors classes. You know, I ski instructed on the weekends um, up in the mountains, and uh, I had a summer job. And uh, what was the other thing? You know, I was you know I was doing sports. I was never good. You know, I was always on JV. But you know, you know, I was doing other stuff too. Um, so I tried to fly that first the summer I was sixteen. I got that solo scholarship, so I flew probably three or four days a week and got that knocked out by late summer. I think I had 22, 23 hours when I soloed. So a little bit higher on the solo time, but I did it at Centennial Airport. I'm pretty sure you've flown in there a couple of times. I've seen on Instagram. Um, so it's a little bit busier, uh, but you know I got that done. And uh, thereafter, I got the EAA scholarship. That was $1,500. So that was about six flights. So I flew over that winter time too. But winter flying in Colorado is interesting because you got to preheat the plane and then you know, sometimes you have frost and we had to like put it in the sun to wait for the frost to thaw out. And I remember one day it was like two hour pre-flight and then the weather came in so we couldn't even go anyways. So it was kind of like a weird kind of next summer. I flew only three times that next summer. Um, so my summer, my 17, I only flew three times. And then, you know, I kind of proven to my dad like, hey, I'd gotten two scholarships, only flown off of scholarship money at this point. I kind of proven to him like, hey, I'm serious about this. I want to do this you know, can you help me out? So basically he helped pay for the last, I think I needed 15 hours. He paid for the last 15 hours. And I made sure that I used those hours as efficiently 
as humanly possible. Like as soon as I could do solos, like I did solos without the instructor to, you know, save on the instructor rate, any of the ground school I did online or, you know, just in the jet book, you know, so I didn't want, I wanted to spend, I knew that money was kind of, you know, there just for that reason. So I wanted to spend it as efficiently as possible, I guess. No, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's hard to spend that money efficiently because it depends on what flight school you go to. They might kind of have different requirements. And like you said before, stopping and going uh, winter in Denver, winter in the Midwest, winter pretty much anywhere outside of Arizona, California, and Florida are going to be kind of difficult to find time to continually fly and stay sharp. So you got to find ways to, to make sure you're staying sharp and using that money as efficiently as possible. Exactly. And one thing I will say is, I think you can get your private at 17, right? Uh, yeah. Been so Solo 16, private 17. Yes. So one thing I will say to the, to the listeners out there, I think you also got to know yourself. Um, and when I was doing my solo, looking back, you know, I just shake my head because I try and be really prepared for everything I do. And I was not prepared. Like my dad would drive me to the airport because um, we were sharing a car at the time. So he would drive. I would study my stuff in the car on the way to the airport. I wouldn't study at home. Like I was so lazy. And I just look back on that. I'm like, dude, you're literally going up in the air, you know, things, something had happened that you didn't study. But, you know, of course I just kind of, I treated it too much like high school, you know, how you do your stuff, the period before it's due. And, you know, so I treated it too much like high school. And I think that's why I didn't do anything that summer of my 17 year, because I just wasn't in the right, I wasn't mature enough yet. But then when I hit 18 summer, you know, about to go off to college, then I was like, okay, I can do this. And I started studying like probably two hours a night, every night, just, you know, doing cross country planning in the POH, in the jet book, you know, anything I could do just to make sure I got my private before college. And I'm guessing you were able to get your private before college. Yeah. Uh, I got it the day before I left for Ohio state. Like I remember I had to leave Monday morning at 9am to start driving to Columbus. And I got it Sunday night at 6 p.m. And we almost got weathered out. So I, I told my parents, I was like, I guess I just won't go. And I'll just be late in an email on my teachers. Like, I don't know. Like, I that looking back on that, I was like, come on, Mark. You really, you know, scheduled this right down to the wire. I was going to talk about waiting to the last minute right there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But and the important thing is you got it. Yes, I got it. And I think that's the only check ride I had issues with because... I, I did okay. I did part sixty one for my private, obviously, and that was interesting because my instructor forgot to do our instrument flight time. So we went in the sim two hours before my check ride and did it then. Like you know, so it was just it was all kind of like we just checked all the boxes, but he didn't really prepare me about how the check ride was going to be. He didn't tell me the oral was going to be five hours. Five hours. <laughs> he didn't tell five hour private oral. Wow. Um, did you piss him off? What did you do? <laughs> I, I don't know. And yeah. I remember he didn't like my weather theory. Like I knew if it was go, no go weather, but he, he asked me about highs and lows and the fronts. And I was kind of like the red and the blue. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, not, I got four flight, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. He was not impressed with my weather theory. Uh, so we like, we hammered on that pretty hard. Um, and he like, you know, we did all of our cross country planning, all that good stuff. But yeah, it was like five hours. And I just remember kind of thinking like, oh, maybe I'll pass. Maybe I won't. Because I didn't know. You know, you're just an 18-year-old happy to be going to college. You don't think of, you know, if I fail this check ride, is it going to show up on an interview later? Like, I just was like, hey, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks and, for the opportunity. And then we went to go fly. And I remember he said he didn't like my short field landing. 
Um, and he said, you know, what, you know, why do we, you know, we kind of debriefed in the plane. Like, why do you do a short field? All the reasons. And I was like, yeah, and I told him exactly why. And then he's like, okay, well, um, that'll be your normal landing. And let's try that again. And then like, I don't know. I just feel like I was so reckless going into check, right? Like I just, I didn't know what to expect. So I just kind of did it. Um, uh, and now like going into check ride, like I know exactly, like I chair fly, I have a script that I follow, you know, I know exactly what to do, but like that first check ride, I would just, I just feel like I kind of got thrown out into the deep end. Like I didn't even know. And well, it sounds like you, you weren't really fully prepared by one of your instructors. I'm not calling them out or anything. Cause that's common. Uh, I mean, maybe it's common. I had an instructor that maybe I wasn't as prepared for my first instrument check ride, which I actually failed because I didn't feel like I was prepared and I was just going at it without really knowing what I was getting into. And it was very similar to where you were, but also it's important for you, which I'm sure you learned to kind of prepare yourself. You know, you can't count on your instructor for everything. You eventually have to do your own self-studying. You have to ask the questions to figure out, to make sure you're prepared before you take that check ride. Exactly. And I, I was so young that I don't think I really understood what the check ride was too. You know, cause basically it was just going to be like, you're going to talk about some stuff for a while and then you'll go fly. And I was like, okay. You know, I didn't think, you know, I don't think we ever pulled out the PTS to see what we do. I, I just, you know, I just, some of those things I wish I would have been, uh, I guess, more in the know, but also I wasn't super mature. So I don't think I would have asked those questions either. You know, I wouldn't have asked like, hey, is this going to be like this? But I'm just glad I passed. <laughs> Looking back where you are now, uh, you've been through 141 training at Ohio State. You did the 61 and it was kind of, like you said, kind of maybe didn't necessarily feel like it set you up for the best success. Do you wish, or if you could go back and do it again, would you have tried to do everything 141? Would you have waited until you got to Ohio State? Would you have done everything 61? It could have been a little cheaper. What are you, when you look back at your training and what you did, would you do anything different? I think training wise, I would do exactly what I did. I would do 61 um, and then 141. Because I, I believe this, that your private is important. It's kind of like the foundation for everything, but 61 has a different kind of, uh, flow and structure. And I really liked how it was kind of like, they taught you what you needed to know. And it wasn't as, it was more laid back. I remember one day someone came out to the airport and just needed to fly down to a local airport, maybe 30, 40 miles away and said, Hey, I'll pay. So someone who's doing a cross country lesson, you know, I'll just pay for your cross country. You guys just need to take me down there. You know, he had to watch something and take, you know, right back. And then the instructor, of course, is a commercial pilot. So, you know, he could do that. So I got a free lesson. You know, I basically got to fly down to the airport, do all the pilotage, dead reckoning, and then fly back. You know, those things don't happen in 141. And I was really appreciative of, of that lesson because, you know, that was free flight time. You know, me remember me, money, money, money. That was free flight time. So stuff like that, I think I really, uh, I really liked. I wish I would have been better prepared for the check rides. But I feel like the instruction was top notch. I feel like I really got the good stick and rudder skills. If it was gusting over a certain threshold, we still went. And he just showed me, you know, this is how you get your skills. Whereas 141, I remember we couldn't solo you if there was more than a five knot crosswind. And I think at the club, it was maybe 10 knots. So just, a, you know, a bump up. But, you know, it just opens up your, your swath a little bit of what you can do. And then going to the 141 at Ohio State, I really like that for instrument commercial because you knew exactly what you needed to do. And I think if you get your private, but if you're lucky enough to get your private before you go to college, do it. Because as soon as you walk into college with a private license, the FAA, 
that said, you have a private license. They can't question you. They, you know, they may have you do a course to get used to flying at that university, but you know, they can't make you go through solo again and everything. And I remember when I was an instructor, it was so hard to get students solo because pretty much every day had five knots of crosswind, but you know, you couldn't go. So it was tough to get people over that hump and getting over that hump 61, I think was good. And then 141 instrument was great. Commercial was great. CFI was great. 141 because I knew exactly my syllabus. I knew what I needed to do and I could just go knock it out. Yeah, it's, I did 141 and 61 and I, if I could do everything again, I think I really liked the way 61 flowed just because I kind of set the tone for everything I wanted. If there was, you didn't have to worry about more than five knot crosswind in your private or there was just a lot of, a lot of rules and regulations. I mean, just like the FAA that kind of can make it a little bit more difficult on you to get everything done. If you don't have a wide open calendar to kind of push it back the next day, or even if you go to a school that say Ohio State, I mean, when I was at Ohio State, it was pretty busy to try to get a, a, a plane. I mean, I remember the board that they had, I don't know if it's the same. There was like five names, six names every single day and every single plane. If you were five minutes late, they gave your plane to someone else. So there's a lot of times where you didn't, weren't necessarily guaranteed a plane to fly. We're 61. It's kind of all on you. You know, you schedule a plane when you want it, how long you want it. You can do whatever you want, essentially. Oh, yeah. And was uh, was Kelly the dispatcher when you were there? No. Um, it's oh, the guy who's in okay. charge now. I think his last name is Stimpy. 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 Yeah, he was the dispatcher oh, when I was nice. there. Yeah, he actually emailed me a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot to email him back. So, Stimpy, if you're listening to this, I apologize. I'll email you back, I promise. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, Stimpy's a good guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I remember that big board that you used to write with the, with, the, uh, with the whiteboard marker on. See if you got a plane that day. Yep. That's so funny. Exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. So look, you, you're, you're happy with what your training was. You're happy that you did 61 and kind of had that exposure and then got the 141, right? Yes. And I would say, you know, I'm not mad at my 61 experience. You know, I loved my 61 experience. It's just now being a professional pilot, you know, everybody looks at everything, you know, all your check ride failures, all your, you know, your uh, written tests, like all these things. And, you know, the 141, it's there for a reason. Like at the 141 school, before I signed off a student to take the written, they had to get 390s. At my 61 school, it said, whenever you're ready, you can go. So I, you know, once again, me being a procrastinator, I waited till the week prior to my check ride and my instructor's like, oh, glad you passed. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's a different kind of vibe. It's a different experience. Um, so I think both of them have their place. And especially if you just want to do something at your pace, 61 is great. 141 is great too, because you can see what you need to do and just kind of knock it out. Yeah. And it's important to know, kind of figure out how you learn and what's best. You know, maybe go to 61 school and take a couple lessons and just see if you like the vibe. If you like the vibe of 61, you don't have to go to an Ohio State. You don't have to go to Purdue. You know, you can have a great career and go to a community college or get, get your four-year degree somewhere else and kind of save some money and still go fly. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about, you sent me a, a pretty good email that I'm reading over right now again. You had some options going out of high school and where you could go. Now you mentioned Purdue, you mentioned Ohio State, but you also had opportunities to go to academies or was that ROTC at Ohio State? Okay. Yeah. That's, so that's why I wanted to talk more about the scholarships piece. Um, so as we talked about earlier, my parents kind of told me like, Hey, you know, if you go to aviation school, you're going to have to pay your way to, you know, we'll pay some, you'll pay the other part, you know, and we'll figure it out uh, if you want to go that way. But, you know, you should definitely look into getting your stuff paid for, too. So this is kind of how I got into all the academies. So I was the A student that 
honors AP classes, the, you know, taking courses at the college, you know, that kind of student, right? So this isn't going to work for everyone um, because I know everybody has different interests and everything. But the service academies are a great way to go. Um, everything's paid for. Uh, you can go fly in the military. You have a commitment for doing that, of course. World-class education. And to be honest, until the last week before my senior year, the last week of my senior year, you know, I think you have to decide by May 1st where you're going to college. I thought I was going to the Air Force Academy. And for all the people that want to go to the Air Force Academy, it's a long process, but it's worth it. Um, I would say uh, you can start early, though. So for the, I'm talking to my 14-year-olds out there. Um, so once you get to school, um, get to high school, you know, make sure you excel in all your classes, you know, do extracurriculars. They like to see uh, Boy Scouts, you know, these national organizations, 4-H, all these things that, you know, so you're committed. Um, they like you to be in sports, maybe an athlete or just whatever you're in. If it's drama, sports, you know, you're really good at it. And they want that leader type mentality. They want that person that's going to be able to go into a valley and, you know, run around and lead the troops. And, and they want that officer because you're an officer in training, basically, when you go to the Air Force Academy. So I really wanted to do that. And the Air Force Academy is only 90 minutes from my house. So I really wanted to do that. My brother went to the Naval Academy. Um, so basically in high school, you know, set yourself up for success, you know, get good grades, you know, be good to your teachers, you know, get involved in sports. So now when you come to your junior year is that's when everything starts to get serious. So the Air Force and Naval and Army Academies all have this cool thing called summer seminar. So basically you go out to the academy for a week, you and a couple hundred kids and they basically put you through a week in the life of being a, a cadet. So, you know, you fly in on Sunday night. Oh, I drove down. Uh, and then Monday morning, you have all these kids from all around the nation and you guys go hang out. And it's really awesome. You stay in the dorms. They give you clothes to wear and you learn what it's like. At the Air Force Academy, I remember they told you they only get 14 minutes to eat because you're a cadet now. You're doing things efficiently. So eating isn't for enjoyment. It's for like sustenance and like to go. So like you come in, like everybody sits down, everybody like takes a plate, passes everything down. Everybody gets everything on their plate. They eat and they leave. It's so efficient. It's really cool. Um, so you get to do that for a week. Then you have a boot camp day where they wake you up at five in the morning with air horns and uh, then basically make you do push-ups, sit-ups. You run like four miles that day. And like, I remember people were like passing out, like it was so much fun. Then you play games the rest of the day. It's all, it's all like, you know, team building games. you like, you have to carry people and you do relay races. It's really fun. Um, and it wasn't fun at the time, but like, you know, now it was fun. Uh, so it was just kind of cool to see what it's like. And you're going to have to do a three month basic training if you go to the military anyways. So it was a good, get your palate wet of like, Hey, this is the military. This is what you're going to be doing. And you can do it at the highest level as an officer in the Air Force and the Navy and Army, you know, whatever it is. So I would definitely recommend look into that summer seminar. Um, you have to create a profile on their website first, then you apply a summer seminar. Then, so once you do summer seminar, then you do your junior year, then senior year of high school. This is when the real work starts. So now you're going to have to apply to the school, apply to be, uh, apply to your senator for a nomination. And then you're going to have to get an appointment to the academy as well. So all these applications are on their websites. And the Air Force and Naval Academies have great websites on how to do it. But basically, you're going to apply to your senator and say, like, hey, my name's Mark. You know, I'm really into this. I want to be an Air Force cadet because of X, Y, Z, right? 
So you do your applications, you're going to do a physical fitness test. Um, I did terrible on that as well. Uh, I think my mile time was like seven minutes. So it was kind of slow. <laughs> well, some people yeah, listening are like, dang, seven minutes, that's quick. So it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. And then you do push-ups, sit-ups, like uh, pull-ups, like all the that type of stuff. You have to do a medical exam. They almost didn't take me because I broke my arm. Um, so I failed my medical, had to get a waiver and, you know, retake it. Um, but it's this whole big process. It takes about nine months. And then, uh, another thing you could do is I, I did a lot of stuff in high school. I interned at my Senator's office. So you need a, a nomination from either your representative. So like the guy that you vote for in the house of representatives, or you have two senators or you can do the vice president, you know, good luck, but, um, or you could, uh, so there's a couple of different ways you can do it. But so I wanted to get the nomination for my Senator. So I interned in his office all summer doing filing, doing paperwork and, you know, tried to get in good with him to say, Hey, you know, when it's time, you know, I want to get nominated by you. It didn't work. He didn't nominate me, but, um, but yeah, so all these things increase your chances, you know, still staying involved. They want you to be a team captain on your sports teams. They're looking for all these things. All your, it's a point system. All you're doing is scoring points to get into the academies. Right. So, um, then I applied, got a nomination from a senator and a representative. So I got one to each, one to the Naval Academy, one to the Air Force Academy. And then you send your application to each academy, and then they're going to look at them, and then you'll get an appointment. So you have to get both. Like if you get a nomination from your senator, you could still get denied by the school. Uh, so then I got both to the Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy. And all while this was going on, you can apply for Air Force ROTC and Navy ROTC. And that's where you go to a regular school, you know, so Ohio State, and you can get a scholarship to be in the ROTC program there. So basically, um, you're still going to have like, you're still going to be able to fly and everything, but after college and you have some commitments um, during school, but it's still going to be kind of a normal college experience. The academies are kind of like max go all the time. You know, you're always doing stuff. You're always doing cool stuff. So, um, those are two ways to get your flight training paid for too, because the Air Force and the Navy put out a lot of pilots. So that's kind of what I was thinking going into my senior year of high school, like, hey, I'm gonna do this Air Force and Navy thing. I'm gonna be a pilot for, you know, flying F thirty fives, you know, I'm gonna be super cool, I'm gonna be landing on carriers, and that's really what I wanted to do. Um, so there's so many options to get your flight training paid for, and that's what I really want people to get um from my, from my podcast, you know, I really want people to know, like you can pay for it so many different ways. Um, and it's not just scholarships. You can do military. If you want to have a normal college experience, you can do ROTC. You can enlist after you can do OTS. There's so many different things you can do. Absolutely. And I think it's important to get off and, and I'm glad, or I think that's important information for everyone to know, because like I talked about earlier, scholarships and kind of the money aspect to it and trying to figure everything out was hard for me to wrap my mind around and how many options you had and what it takes to do. So I think you're doing a good job of, of sharing your story and telling people that the options are there and to apply and just kind of figure it out. You know, don't cancel anything out just because maybe you don't love the military. Maybe you still apply. Maybe you kind of get, get a little more information and you could find out some information that you like. I mean, a lot of people go to the military and love it. You get to pay for their school. And some people, it's not for them. For me, the military was not for me. But for other people, it could be for them, you know? So just go check it out. Do your due diligence. And it's not a bad way to get your flight training paid for. Exactly. And I think I was a little overboard in high school. Um, I applied to 13 schools because, you know, I wanted to give the maximum amount of opportunities for me to get my flight training paid for. 
So like, you know, once again, I was the money guy. So applying to all these schools, some schools like you get a full ride to, um, for other reasons. So this is my, another way to get your flight training paid for it. So, uh, when you take the PSAT, I think it's in your sophomore year, if you score high enough, you get into this thing called the national merit running, right? National merit, national achievement. And your score puts you in a pool. So then the next year you have to take the SAT and then you get a score on the SAT and then you have to apply and you have to do this application. And basically if you get selected from that, then you get put in a pool of people and basically you get a scholarship from the national merit scholarship corporation. And I got the national achievement scholarship. So that basically meant of all the black students who took the PSAT, uh, in the country, I was one of the top students, and I think there were nine in my state. I was one of nine, so probably 450 in the country. Um, they got one of the top scores. So, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, I just took a test. You know, I got a good score. But the cool thing is, I didn't even know this at the time. If you put that in your college application, there are some universities that will give you a full ride just for winning that scholarship. <laughs> so Arizona State University, they have a flight program, great flight program. They actually gave me a full ride just for having won that scholarship. So there's, you know, once again, you know, not everybody is the, you know, the type of person that like loves to read SAT books like me, but it was just, it was just a way for me to pay for my flight training. Um, cause I knew I wanted to be a pilot and it was going to be super expensive. So I was like, you know, I'm going to exhaust all the avenues. So, um, I ended up getting a full ride to Arizona state. Now I it was one other school I got a full ride to, um, just because of that scholarship. And then there's a national Latino one, um, there's a Asian and Pacific Islander one and then national merit is for everyone. Like everyone can get in that one. So like there's, there's some more options that people don't even know about. So take your PSAT seriously. It could win you some money. Yeah, absolutely. Was it hard for you to, to choose between all these schools or was it kind of once Ohio state came in and you kind of had the best officer for office? Can't talk. Once Ohio state came in and gave you kind of the best offer for money, was that kind of the end of your search for college or did you like one school over the other and you would maybe and you mentioned Purdue, but they didn't give you all the money that you wanted. Like, how did that work when you're choosing the school you're going to go to? So this is where everything kind of gets sticky because Purdue, I really want to go to Purdue. If you ever go to Purdue, great flight program, all Cirruses, you know, had, they had, I think they have like a simulator for a CRJ in there. Like, it was great. I love my tour. You know, the campus was nice. But, you know, of course, they didn't give me the money that I wanted. And then Ohio State, that just happened on accident, honestly. Uh, so Ohio state, they have the common app and I, you have to click submit after you finish all the sections and I never click submit and something told me to like, go check. Like, why haven't I got in yet? So I go to check. I didn't submit the application. So then I click submit and it was like the last day to submit. And there's an actual, there's an extra scholarship addendum on the Ohio state application called the moral scholars program. And it says, Hey, if you add some sort of diversity, to our university, please talk about it. And they're not just talking about racial or ethnic diversity. They're just talking about anything. So I wrote about it. And I basically said that uh, in high school, my girlfriend at the time, she was partnering with an organization called Children's Future International. And basically they helped children in Cambodia and they would make these necklaces out of coconuts. And then we would sell them in the US for $15 a necklace, kind of steep. But all the money went directly back to these children in Cambodia. And I think we sold a couple thousand dollars, you know, nothing that we thought was super big, 
you know, at the time we just were doing it because these people reached out and we just wanted to help. You know, I wasn't doing it for any other reason. I was just wanted to hang out with my girlfriend at the time. So we just, you know, sold these necklaces and that was really, really fun. Turns out I wrote about that in the application. Turns out they're really impressed by that. Um, so they actually asked me about that in the scholarship application. And when they called to interview me, they're like, Hey, tell us more about this. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know. We just kind of sold some necklaces and sent some money back and do volunteer work when we can. And we help them file nothing, you know, nothing serious. And they thought that was really cool. Cause like the biggest thing about, I think scholarships and, and aviation is people really enjoy things that you don't have to do for money or for any credit. You know, just like you're doing this this podcast, you just started it. You know, nobody had to make you start it. You know, your company didn't say, hey, Justin, I want you to do an outreach effort. People are really impressed when you just do things on your own. And I think that's one thing that people need to remember. Like, if you're just in college, if you start a YouTube channel, you're just doing it for fun. Like, that's really cool. YouTube's hard. You got to do all the lighting. You got to do all the camera work. People love to see that type of thing. So long story short, they were impressed. I did my interview and I think two weeks later, I got an email like, Hey, you got a full ride scholarship to Ohio state. And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, So then I got a full ride scholarship to Ohio state and I had the full ride to, you know, air force and Navy, obviously. And then not enough to Purdue where I really wanted to go. And Arizona state, and I think, you know, maybe a couple other schools. Embry, I applied to the Riddles. Um, they, they didn't give me very much. They gave me like five or 10000 a year. So not, you know, not enough to make those into play. Um, so I think the last day I flipped a coin between Ohio State and Purdue. <laughs> and oh, wow. it came up heads and I went to Ohio State. <laughs> That's awesome. Good story, man. Go Bucks, always. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, and the reason why I didn't go to the Air Force and Navy, I'll tell you that. So my brother went to the Air Force, to the Naval Academy, excuse me, he'll hate me for saying he went to Air Force. Um, so he sat me down one day and was like, Hey man, like, do you really want to be an officer or do you want to be a pilot? And I think that's one thing that everyone has to remember for the military. The military is about, you know, leading the charge and being leaders in the community and, you know, going over and doing the tough work. And, Sometimes that's not always, you know, flying a cool airplane or, you know, being a training instructor. You know, sometimes that's sitting in a desk in Afghanistan doing what you need to do to help the force. And he said, are you going to be mad if in three years after flying, you got to do this cool tour flying? You know, are you going to be mad if you're going to have to sit at a desk for a couple of years or you're going to have to switch assignments or maybe you don't even get the flight slot? Are you going to be mad? And I said, I wouldn't be mad, but I know I really want to fly. I've wanted to fly since I was eight. He's like, well, since you've got this offer from Ohio State now, I would go to Ohio State or Purdue and just do the civilian route. And I was like, okay. And that, that's the real reason I did not go to the Air Force and Naval Academies because I knew I really wanted to fly. And um, it's, it's about more than just flying in the, in, the, in the military. It's about being an officer and leading others and being the best you can be. Absolutely. And it's important for you to make that distinction of what you actually want before you get into something that might might not be exactly what you thought or might go over your head a little bit. So it's good that you were able to figure that out early because uh, once you're in, you can't get out. You know, you're kind of there for a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, and one other thing. So my brother, uh, love him. He actually went to the Naval Academy, but there's another way you can get in the Naval Academy. It's called their prep school. 
So you can go to the Air Force Prep School, the Naval Prep School. Basically, if you don't score high enough on all the different factors um, to get in just straight away, you can also go to the prep school for these academies. You just have to you know, pass the prep school. Then you get an automatic bid into the Naval Academy for the next year. So that's another way you can get your flight training paid for it. You know, still apply. You may not be high enough to get into the Air Force and Naval Academy just you know, out of high school. Maybe you'll do a year at the prep school. You can still get into the academy the next year. Well, that's cool. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of choices to to choose from, and not everyone has as many choices as you. I think it's very interesting all the scholarships and how kind of you kind of made it work, and you got the scholarships you needed to to get to where you wanted to go. Uh, we've been talking for about an hour now, so we'll kind of wind down a little bit. I did have a couple of questions about where you are now. Uh, I was reading the email, and it you chose. I mean, I don't know if you want to name companies or anything, but. Uh, you were able to choose a 91K, 135 job. You had others to choose from. How hard is it getting out of college and kind of finding that first job? You know, uh, you know, everyone else knows I worked at Midwest Aerial Photography. Um, I, I'm not really bashful in saying that it was a hard job for me. I was gone a lot. Uh, there were some difficulties with maintenance that I had, but if I had to go back, I'd still do it because I was able to build some great time and time that helped me get to the job that I was going to get now. Uh, you had that opportunity to go there as well. Was it hard for you to turn down certain jobs to to look for one, or was it kind of just whoever hired you first? What were you looking for when you were getting your jobs? Uh, okay, so I think um, one thing I'll, I'll say is it's incredibly difficult. Um, the the what I graduated into is obviously different now with the pandemic, uh, but basically, you know, went to Ohio State, you know, did all my rest of my ratings, got my CFI. And I was done by kind of almost like middle of my senior year. So I was flight instructing that winter time into the spring, you know, still going to classes on campus um, and into that summer. And so, of course, everyone's graduating and everyone's, you know, going off to their cool jobs in New York and L.A. and Dallas or, you know, wherever. And I was still flight instructing. So I was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this, get my time. And about 500 hours is where people want to see you to go to the 135 route or the 91K route, this route where they went to see for a first officer. So I started applying and I think the hardest part is you just got to send out a lot of resumes, applied to a lot of PC12 jobs, a lot of King Air jobs, just anywhere I could, you know, I could send out an application. And you don't really get anything for a while. And I think, you know, I started applying at the end of the school year, you know, was instructing all summer and I didn't get any traction until about September. And a friend of mine who uh, flies for the airlines said, Hey, I was at, I believe it was boutique. And, you know, I know the the old DO over there, I can walk your resume in, you know, I was like, great. You know, so he walks into my resume, I get an email like, Hey, you've got a technical interview to the interview. And then, you know, nothing. So I didn't hear anything for, for weeks. And they said, you know, you're in the pool when your name comes up, we'll call you. So I'm just flying around one day. And get a call. They say, Hey, you know, can you start? I think it was like the next Friday in Los Angeles. And I was like, wow. And I just, I think I just gone to lunch from uh, flight instructing. And of course you're like, oh, uh, yeah, of, of course, you know, and my sister had just moved to LA. So I had a place to stay. And so I was like, great, you know, let's, let's do it. But then another company <laughs> that I had applied for called me literally the next Monday, like when I was supposed to call it back on Monday to let them know, they called me. And I, so I literally, I think I called to accept the job at like 11. And then the other job called me at like one. It was awful. It was, 
So then I'm, you know, I'm calling my dad and I'm saying, like, what do I do? And I'm talking to my girlfriend, like, what do I do? Because my dad is the old fashioned, like, once you accept, you accept, you got to go. Um, so he was saying, yeah. So, you know, he was saying, you don't want to burn this bridge or, or whatever. And, and we ended up talking over LA was probably a little far to go on, you know, a week's notice. And I kind of realized that and I was like, and the other place didn't start for two or three weeks. So I could give my weeks, no, I could give my notice at, you know, the flight school and do all these other things and, you know, finish up my students. So then I had to make the tough decision to call them back actually and decline. And I, that was a tough thing to do. And I think for all the people listening, just remember if you're going to do that, just be honest, be like, Hey, you know, I got another offer. LA is pretty far. It's just not going to work out for me. Um, and, uh, and I just was honest with them. They said, could we give you an extra month? Like you can come in the class next month. Uh, you know, is that enough time to get out to LA? And I just said, I had to say, Hey, I'm going to go with a, a different opportunity. And that was really tough. Cause you know, if you've had nothing for all these months, you know, you get all these opportunities all at once and you're just like, Oh, you know, LA, LA you know, I want to go fly PC 12 and, you know, be a 135 pilot. But you know, it was tough. And I think just to try and do it with as much class and, you know, try and give them as much notice, you know, don't tell them the night before class, you know, t I just called them back like, you know, a couple hours later and said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I have to, you know, go back on what I said, but you know, I just really had to, to be open and follow my sword there. Yeah, that's tough. That's uh cause you want to, I mean, <laughs> one, you already accepted the job, you're excited for that job. And then maybe a better opportunity comes and that's kind of how aviation has been in the past. You know, it's like everyone just leaves for the best opportunity. And sometimes they leave a situation worse than it was before they got there. I know a lot of people are good with their word and they follow through with their word or they're respectful and be like, hey, I'm so sorry. And like you did, you tell them the truth. But I always recommend just be as honest and as truthful as you can because the other person on the other side of the phone will more likely than not understand. Like they would probably leave a job for a better opportunity as well. But you just need to be honest with them and kind of share that with them. And that will help you out in your career because you never know who's going to be the one hiring you for your next job. I've heard so many people say about how they hired their former chief pilot or they were their captain for a former uh, first off, former captain that they didn't like. So you never know who you're going to be flying with or who could be helping you get a job in the future. Exactly. And I, uh, I, I think I, I also tell people aviation is so small um, that uh, you talk about Midwest aerial photo. I actually uh, interviewed with them as well. <laughs> so it's just so funny hearing your stories because um, I interview with them. And when I would say this, now with everything in aviation slowing down to all the people that are worried that their flight instructor, they just got to 1501, you know, in March. And then this happens, I would say that aviation is still going to be great. You know, every time I look out the window or I fly an ILS, I flew an ILS yesterday back into Kennedy and that was awesome down to men's, you know, it's foggy. It was great. Um, aviation is so worth it. You know, whenever you get to that place, it's so worth it. So stay the course. But if people help you along the way, just let them know. And I think that person who, you know, he walked my resume into the DO at uh, the airline and, you know, I didn't just reject the job offer and then just never tell him anything. I called him first and I said, Hey, you know, I think it's not going to work. And I don't want your friend to think that you're sending him bad applicants. Um, because it was just a personal thing. I couldn't move to LA in five days. I just couldn't, um, so I called him first and he totally understood. So it's also about if someone gives you an opportunity, 
and you know you can't take it then you got to make sure that you're going to take care of that person as well and let them know that hey you know i respect that you you know put your put your good name out there for me you know and i can't take it at this time so and he was super understanding um we're still really good friends and everything and uh and he was fine with it but i just made sure i told him first before i told the company like just so he didn't feel like you know i you know he got me this great opportunity and i didn't didn't uh, take advantage of it yeah and for someone that is new to the industry or not new but young in this industry what does it look like for you when you see everything that's going on right now you know obviously you probably have friends that are being furloughed. You know, a lot of people are being furloughed, looking for a job. Uh, maybe your flow time to an airline that you wanted to go to for the major is kind of put off now. You're kind of, your career is in a little bit more uncertainty than where it was a year ago or even uh, seven months ago. What What's your outlook on it right now? Are you still like, this is the best decision I've ever made. I love flying so much. I'll kind of put up with whatever. Uh, and you know that good times will be coming soon. Or do you maybe wish that you would have thought a little bit more and gone to another route? Uh, so what I'll say is, and I, we haven't even got this far, but basically I'm at an airline now, at a regional airline. <laughs> um, I, I flow the, two, the CRG 200 and the CRG 900. Um, and what I'll say is I was based in New York City. I live in New York City. And the pandemic happened. And it was pretty it was kind of weird there for a couple of weeks. It was definitely pretty weird. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately a couple of people in my building in New York have passed away from the virus. Um, so it was kind of crazy being the, in the epicenter and, you know, my base closed because they just couldn't justify any more flying for the CRJ 200 out here. Um, so that was definitely tough and interesting. And I basically had the last five months off. Um, so it's definitely been a weird, year. And I would say my outlook is still the same. I think this career is so worth it. You know, just when you get to do the cool things we get to do, um, when you get to an airline, you'll learn about cat two approaches. Um, when you get to bigger airlines, cat three and Autoland approaches, but basically it's my most favorite thing to do at my airline because I'm just a first officer. And, you know, when you think of first officer, you think, eh, you know, when they get capped and they're cool, but this is the coolest thing you get to fly the approach. And if the captain's always looking outside and the captain will see the lights and continue or not see the runway and you'll go around or see the runway and take the aircraft and land. And it's the coolest thing because we work together and, you know, we're basically just working together to get this airplane and get these people where they need to go safely. And I think that is the coolest thing about being an airline pilot because you have so much responsibility and you have so much um, on your shoulders, but it's great because the training is great. And it's just so much fun just to get to fly all around the country. You know, I have friends in different cities that I get to go see. And so I think the career is totally worth it. If I got furloughed, you know, I think I would go back to flight instructing or just anything to stay in aviation because it is truly so worth it. So I know everything is tough right now. And, you know, I do have friends that have been furloughed, but, you know, I honestly can't imagine doing anything else. And if I have to go work at Home Depot for three years and then come back, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to take that recall, come back. Um, and uh, I think for everybody out there, I would remember that in tough times, you got to lean on your connections. And so it, even if it's just like, you know, that buddy who I told him I wasn't going to take the job, if I hadn't have told him that, who knows, maybe he's going to hire me at the next job. And he's going to think highly of me because I was open and honest with him the first time about that job and said, Hey man, I can't take it. Um, and so it's all about, it's going to be go back to kind of what it was before. It's all about connections, who, you know, 
um, the fact that I follow this guy on Instagram and he jump seated with me yesterday, actually. That was the coolest thing ever. And I just said, Hey man, I follow you on Instagram. And he's at a company that I want to be at now. And he's like, Hey man, you know, DM me your stuff. And, um, we took him over to Chicago. Like that was super cool. Um, so, you know, that might be an opportunity. It's all going to be about who, you know, just having those conversations. And if, you know, they give you an opportunity that you can't take, you know, let them know. And if they, you can take it, you know, do it, do the job well and make sure that their word stays good. Yeah. I mean, that's a good outlook to have. I like what you said. Like you just love aviation and you want to be in it and you just have to accept that this is part of this career every 10 years, it seems like. And sometimes it could be plus or minus two or three years, but there's going to be something that brings it down where aviation is not as sexy as it was. And you got to find a way to get through that. And I did a podcast with Dr. Jim Higgins and we talked very much touched on the fact how difficult it can be for a pilot who identifies so much as a pilot, like that's who they are in their life and, and just got to be really wary of mental health. And I really hope that we're reaching out and doing everything we can for those people that are being furloughed. And if you are one of those that have been furloughed or have some, uh, just that identity has been stripping or has been stripped from you, then feel free to reach out to anyone. Cause I think it's going to be a huge issue here in the next coming months when, you know, like we love flying, we can't imagine doing anything else. So what do we do now? You know? Right. Exactly. And, um, I want to touch on a little bit, uh, mentoring too. Like I have these, those mentors from United airlines. Um, they were great. You know, I called both of them during all this. It's all about <clears throat> having someone you can talk to, you know, because they've been through everything. Um, one of the pilots told me like, Hey man, I've lost a pension. I've lost a 401k, had to build it up twice. You know, we've gone through two bankruptcies and I'm still here, still kicking. You know, he had just gotten back from somewhere you know, overseas, you know, on a trip on the 787 at United Airlines. And he said, you know, man, it's a crazy career, but at the end of the day, it's still worth it. Yeah. I mean, very well said. It's just, there's no other career really like this one. Like <laughs> the, the opportunities that it can offer, the highs are amazing and the lows are equally as bad as, as great as the highs are, you know, it's just, you can't make up this industry and what you have to go through to put up with it. Exactly. And the last thing I'll say about mentoring too is, you know, if there's someone that you identify with that, you know, as a pilot, you know, try and just ask them like, Hey, can you be my mentor? Um, and it's just easy as that, you know, sometimes you're going to have mentors that you just don't gel with and that's okay. Um, like that mile high foot program, there are five pilots that run it and I am like probably coolest with two of them. You know, I mean, all of them are awesome resources, but two of them are the ones that I really our personality is really meshed, you know? So you don't have to, everyone doesn't have to be your mentor. And sometimes you can have a bad mentor too. I actually had a bad experience with a mentor and uh, he told me not to study for an interview. And um, so you just kind of got to weed it out, but most people are always going to be um, really, really good to you in this career. And I want to offer that to your listeners too. Um, I'll give them my contact information at the end, but if you ever have any questions about aviation, you can always ask me. Um, and I think once you remember that as soon as you get like that first rating or, you know, as soon as you're a private pilot, you can help that person trying to solo. You know, if they have questions about the written, you can help them. You know, I mentor people that I went to school with, you know, that they're still at Ohio State and, you know, I keep up with them. And I just tell them, hey, when you get your next rating, you know, send me an email or shoot me a text or whatever you can do, because I'll, I can help. I can mentor you, too. Um, and I think that's what's important. Like, you got to give back. And especially in these times when everybody's, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, just look out for one another. Yeah, absolutely. You said it perfectly. 
Well, hey, man, I want to head into the rapid fire section right now. So it's just going to be a bunch of aviation questions. And you say the first question that comes to your mind. Sure. Oh, can I say one more thing, Justin? Sorry. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, oh, and if you go to Ohio State, um, you know, I, I said this too many times. I'm the money man. So I actually established a scholarship at Ohio State. Me and my mom did. So if you are an Ohio State engineering student, uh, apply. Um, for the special scholarships. And there is now an aviation scholarship in my grandma's name. And it is $1,000 a year. So you can get a scholarship to Ohio State to go fly. So That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> Give it back. Give it back. Okay, yeah, but sorry. I'll Gotta give it back. <laughs> All right, no, that was worth it. That was worth the interruption. I'll give you that one. <laughs> the scholarship guy has his own scholarship. I love it. All right, cool. So uh, like I said, got a couple of rapid fire questions for you. It's just aviation themed questions. You say the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yes. All right, cool. What's your favorite airplane? Ooh, it's 777. What about a corporate airplane? Do you have a favorite? Oh, any of the G5s and up. Oh my God, those airplanes are awesome. What about a small piston? Uh, small piston? I mean, I'd say the Arrow. Um, I was listening to the Dangerous Flights uh, podcast <laughs> and he hates the Arrow, but I, I thought it was great. It was my first uh, complex airplane. Yeah, so, yeah I, I like the, the Arrow. I have the same feelings. Arrow is one of my favorite airplanes to fly. I did it for my commercial and I felt like I could fly that plane better than any plane I've ever flown in previously. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, I like the Arrow. All right. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, I'd have to say ugliest Maybe the shorts or like yes. I, the Piaggio looks cool to me, but like maybe the shorts, that thing is ugly. Shorts is ugly. We can both agree on that. Not everyone's perfect. So your idea about the Piaggio is what it is, but you know, everyone has some flaws every, every once in a while. What, what is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Oh, I wish I knew before I became a pilot. Um, I don't know. I would say just, uh, no, this could be a lot of work, but it's like the most rewarding thing ever. That's good. Very, very true. All right. Let's say you are at Oshkosh and you have the opportunity to meet any, uh, whether it's Instagram aviation person or someone from history of aviation, someone that you've looked up to and always wanted to meet. Who is one person in the industry that you would like to meet most? Um, I don't know. Honestly. I would say all people from Instagram. Like I love, yeah, I love to meet you. I love to meet like Steve-O. Oh, I love to meet Steve-O. Um, just, you know, all those people. Cause I'm a, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm 25. So I'm into all the, like Captain Moonbeam. Like I love to meet all those guys. Captain Moonbeam is the best. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, favorite thing about aviation is the lifestyle. Um, I didn't get to talk about the, uh, uh, like uh, aviation is, is, is a lot of work, you know, of course, you know, we talked about, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do to put yourself in the correct position, but there's a lot of fun too. Um, I keep track and over the past four years of having flight benefits, I did 19 countries and 283 free, free flights as a non-rev. So I like to go travel. So just the lifestyle, like, you know, if someone has a barbecue on Saturday in Colorado, I can go. You know, if I have the time off, I can go. You know, I live in New York, but I can still go. So I would say my favorite thing is the lifestyle, the fact that you can always kind of be on the go. You know, you can do, you can travel, you can go see people, you can fly down for a weekend, you can fly down for a day, you know, if you want to. So that, that's what I'd say. Favorite thing about aviation is lifestyle. What's your favorite country you've ever flown to? That I've flown to Bahamas, hands down. Love the Bahamas. Uh, at the last company I was with, we did a bunch of Bahamas stuff and 
that was the most fun flying ever, you know, landing on coral strips where somebody spray painted two nine on the runway or, you know, when you get to the Bahamas, it's cash only. And it's just funny because you come in with like a wad of $400 to pay your customs fees and you just, you max out your credit card to, to get the cash from the company card to get the cash. And it's just, it's just a wild experience. And just the food is so good. The weather is so unpredictable and the people are so nice. So the Bahamas for sure. What about one that you just traveled to or flying standby? Oh, 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 um, Peru, Lima, Peru. If you guys, if anyone ever works for, uh, Oh, I shouldn't say that. If you work for a mainline airline that flies out of Atlanta, <laughs> um, they have a lot of first class seats going to Peru and it's not a very business heavy route. So you can usually get first class and, you know, sit in the fancy seats and everything. And when you get there, they have this cool mall that's on the side of a cliff and they have surfing that you can go do down at the water. And it's all very walkable. Miraflores is amazing. And then they have this market called the blue market that has all the cool Peruvian stuff. And if you have time, you can go to Machu Picchu. So Peru for sure. That's awesome. I haven't been to Peru. Uh, My dad flies for American. So I've done some of his, I've used some standby to go fly to China and some other countries as well. So I definitely recommend using standby tickets and standby flights whenever you can. Oh yes. Always, 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 always. Oh yeah. I, so of course I listen to the podcast, so I've, I've had this one prepped. So this was back in my 91, 135 days. And the funniest thing is you just have to have 10 hours of rest. So they called me at like 4 p.m. Like, hey, see you in 10 hours. So I had to show up at, if my math is right, 2, 2 a.m. So, you know, you try to go to sleep at 6 p.m. And, you know, it's light outside. And so I go to sleep, get back up at like 12.30, drive over to the to the headquarters. And it was uh, 1.50 a.m. show for 2.50 a.m. go. And we flew down to Martha's Vineyard and it was my leg and it was like cloudy and rainy and foggy in a Martha's Vineyard and the winds were favoring the side with the GPS, not the ILS. So we're flying this GPS approach to minimums. Um, the PC-12 operator in front of us gotten in and so we pop out, you know, and the lights are all bright because it's really foggy and um, I didn't get the airplane slowed quite to B-Ref over the numbers. and. So I was coming in a little fast and then you see the lights just flying past you a little fast and the captain's like, Hey, you got to get it down. And I, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to flare and I get it down. I get stopped going to full reverse and it's a PC 12. So it's pretty, um, pretty, uh, forgiving, but that was just one of those approaches where that was the hardest approach I've ever flown. Like, I just feel like, you know, it was just tough, like two minimums on the GPS, not a, not a precision approach. You know, all the fog, all the illusions and the runway lights were really bright. So you get that illusion. And then it was kind of a black hole because there's water around it. it mm-hmm. That was the hardest approach. What's your favorite approach you ever found? Uh, ooh, I would say um, any, I would say the uh, expressway into LaGuardia because I fly over my house. If you see that big red uh, thing, that's my house. Um, so I expressway into LaGuardia, fly over my house. That's fun. And I haven't been pilot flying for it, but the river visual in the DC. What's your favorite airport to land at? LaGuardia. Lee's favorite airport to land at? Also LaGuardia. <laughs> would you rather fly IFR or VFR? Uh, I would say uh, IFR. What's your, let's say you got about a 30 minute connection in your favorite airport and Lee's favorite airport of LaGuardia. You need to get some food. What's your go-to airport food? Ooh, all LaGuardia airport food is expensive, but they used to have this uh, 
this uh, salad bar with a bunch of great like food, but now because of COVID, it's not there anymore. But yeah, right, the yeah. salad bar at LaGuardia was was the move. Yeah, was that one part of the new the new section? I think they just built that, right? Oh yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, that is pretty pretty crazy. LaGuardia actually looks like a nice airport in some parts. All right, that only took a uh, hundred years. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? All right, here's another one. Would you rather fly mountains or would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? I would say beaches, then mountains, then cities. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Or Embraer, I guess I should say, because they're kind of coming into the, the major planes too. Yeah, definitely, definitely Boeing. All right, Boeing it is. What's your favorite airline livery? Ooh, airline livery. I say any of the Japanese ones from like A and A. Like they always have the cool ones, like the R two D two triple seven, or like the anime ones. They have the coolest, coolest liveries. Long trips or short trips? Would you rather have like one? I mean, long trip, like one. You're taking a global or Gulfstream, fifteen hours, or would you rather have maybe ten short trips and a PC twelve flying in the Northeast? Yo, I am like, I grew up with Vine. Then we had like um twitter and now we have tiktok i am like i my attention span is so short that no 10 short trips like i hate i did like minneapolis to newark the other day and i was like oh get me off this place that's hilarious <laughs> too long <laughs> but you get to go on a global though or Goldstream, you know oh uh, uh. that's funny so you don't want to be a wide body captain then uh no and i think I, i'll probably stay on like the seven three or something because i just i can't my i don't like the long trips it's just too long it's interesting because everyone seems to be different. You know, like I was one person, all they want to do is fly the, the 350 or the 777 or even you said that was your favorite airplane. You don't ever want to fly it. Yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, let's see here. What's one? What's the biggest regret you have so far in your career? Biggest regret? Um, I would say, you know, of course it doesn't apply now, but everything was moving so fast um, back in the day that you know, you wanted to go to the, you know, CFI, 135, 135 airlines. I wish I would have kind of slowed my roll down a little bit and kind of like gotten really good at one and then gotten really good in the other, you know. So I would, I mean, I'm happy I'm at an airline now, but I would say maybe would have just CFI the whole time, then gone to the airlines, you know, just be that, you know, that standards instructor, you know, I would have, instead of just being that, you know, single engine instructor, I didn't even get my MEI. So I would say just be instead of just being that single engine instructor, I would have got my double I, my MEI, been that complete instructor, then got to the airlines, you know, upgraded to captain, you know. But that's all I'd say. All right. Good enough. It's it's interesting because you want to get stuff done as fast as possible, but you also want to enjoy where you are for as long as possible. You know, it's like you need to get that seniority number so you don't get furloughed when the economy goes to, goes to crap and our aviation, beautiful aviation industry doesn't look as fun as it was, but you also want to enjoy the time where you get to fly the arrow and you're looking back fondly on that or the PC-12, you know, maybe be uh, work your way up in the company, but you just got to find out what works best for you. Yeah, exactly. I wish I would have chilled out a little bit, but you know. All right, let's see what I got next. What is the biggest win of your career so far? Ooh, biggest win? I would say, honestly, every day I wake up and like go report to the airport is like a win. Um, every time I get to say goodbye to the passengers after a good or okay landing, uh, <laughs> I think that's a win. Just, just the fact that I get to do my dream job like the one that I've won since I was eight, it's just a win. Like, and I got to have my mom on my first flight. So that was pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. I like that. 
Uh, would you rather fly a CRJ or ERJ as a passenger? Oh, that's tough, man. Uh, ERJ. Oh, I can't. It's so hard to say ERJ, but even though I fly the, the, the CRJ. Now, would you rather fly a CRJ or an ERJ as a pilot? Ah, uh, they got auto throttles, man. I that's that's too much. That's uh, that's too much automation. We you gotta you gotta jerk him yourself. Like you get, no, I would say the the CRJ. All right, auto throttles are probably the greatest thing ever invented. So I'm gonna go with the ERJ just for the fact that they have auto throttles. Do you like Do you like them? Do yeah, they? Like, I like auto throttles. Really? They make life so much easier. Dang. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's you. I never. I don't use them when I land, but I, I like to use them in cruise or uh, take off and stuff like that. Wow, interesting. Okay. All right, here's one. Piper or Cessna? Uh, I'll go with Cessna. 141 training for 61. You have to choose one. What would you choose? 141. All right. What about as a student? Or let's say that was as a student. So what about as an instructor? Would you rather instruct at a 141 or instruct at a 61 school? I'd rather instruct at uh, 141. But for students, I think the biggest thing for students that you got to remember is at a 141 school, you can kind of get lost in the sauce because um, they've got you know all these pilots. You know, if you're at a pilot kind of centric university, you've got a lot of people. You know, they're just wondering if you're passing your state checks. You know, they're not really checking in on you. So I think if you're a student going to one of those schools, remember you got to check up on yourself. So you got to make sure: Am I getting the most out of this instructor? Am I wasting time? Do I feel like I'm ready for the state check, but they're not signing me off? You know, ask to go with a different instructor. I send my students with different instructors all the time to get a different flavor of the maneuver, or maybe there's something I couldn't explain. And I was the king of that at Ohio State. Like I would, you know, fly two or three times a day. If there was an empty slot where someone didn't show up, oh, I would go, you know. So I think at 141, if you just do, you know, the one lesson a day, and if you, you know, you wait for them to sign you off and, you know, you just don't really take charge of your flight training then it could take a long time. Um, you know, always ask questions, you know, why am I not getting signed off? Because if you're not getting signed off, then, you know, there's a valid reason, but you just got to, you know, figure out, figure it out and then, you know, correct it. All right. Last one or no, maybe two more. Let's see. What is your favorite aviation book you've ever read? Uh, favorite aviation book. Honestly, I don't read aviation books, but I want to read the one, the dangerous flights guy. I didn't know he had a book. Um, so I'll read that one. Um, I read the Ice Pilots book about their TV show. Uh, but other than that, I think that's the only one I've read, really. I'm going to buy the Ice Pilots, not Ice Pilots. I'm going to buy the uh, Dangerous Pilots book as well. I, I read a sample, and it is just as interesting as what the podcast was. So that guy definitely has a crazy story and a crazy life. <laughs> yeah, so I'll definitely listen to his. Yeah, but. for sure. All right, last one. What is your favorite airline? You get to fly first class to anywhere in the world. What are you choosing? I would choose... Emirates, um, and their triple seven first class, um, with the new suite. That's what I, Oh no, no, excuse me. A380, uh, with the shower. I'll do that. I'll choose that. All right. Someone watches Casey Neistat every once in a while, I guess. <laughs> yes. My buddy, um, he's at the airline with me is another FO. He got stuck non-revving one day and his uncle had some credit card points. So he booked them business class back and they go up to the counter and they say, Hey, you know, we're really sorry, but we're out of business class. And they were like, so we're not going to get home today. They're like, oh, we, we, we got something, we got something uh, figured out for you. They slide over two first class tickets on the A380 
Got to go to the lounge, boarded the airplane from the lounge. It was awesome. Got That's to take amazing. a shower, everything. It was awesome. That's the best. Wow. I'm jealous of them. All right. Well, those are all the rapid fire questions I have for you. Uh, before I have one more question for you and then I'll let you go. But before I just want to say thanks for coming on. Like I said earlier, it's always great to have another Buckeye on the podcast and and just talk about how great Ohio State is and how everyone should go there. But yeah, go Bucks. Yeah, go Bucks. Football Saturday. I can't wait. Uh, last question I have for you. If someone's listening to this podcast and they are inspired by your story, they want to reach out to you and ask you for three tips that you'd give them in this aviation career. Maybe just when they're starting out. Uh, what are three tips or you can give more, you can give less. What are some tips that you would give to a, a prospective aviation student? Uh, three tips. I would say um, you got to learn to be comfortable, comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and I mean that by like some of the best connections I've had is, you know, if someone speaks at an event or like, you know, or that you have guest speakers in your classroom, you know, yeah, you want to ask questions, but a lot of kids just leave the, leave the room and they don't want to ask the people questions. Well, these people could be hiring you later. So just go up and say, Hey, my name is Mark. I have 10 hours, but I just wanted to make this connection. You know, may I have your business card? And Nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes. And uh, then just check in with them. Say, hey, I got 50 hours. And then usually those people come back to your school or back to that organization. So the next time you see them, just say, say hello. You know, hey, I'm working on this. And uh, sometimes friendships come out of that. Sometimes mentorships come out of that. Sometimes jobs come out of that. Sometimes nothing comes out of it. But you just got to get comfortable um, at expressing yourself and advocating for yourself. Um, that's one. Two, I would say, always keep tabs on your on your money, you know, always keep tabs in your flight account, you know, make sure that you're not flying too much or too little. And, uh, if you do go to 141 school, fly when other people are not. So that 7:30 AM slot, nobody wants to get up early because you have to leave campus at like 6:45. Nobody wants to do it. I was the king of the 7:30 slot because nobody was up there. I could always get a plane. Didn't have to worry about it. It was usually calmer weather, you know, so I'd say do what other people aren't. Fly over breaks. I stayed a couple spring breaks, stayed summers. Um, you can fly a lot more when the most of the students aren't there. And that's one way you can get through you know, your college program pretty quickly. Last thing I'll say is a person told me, you know, I went up to him after one of a, a presentation, and he's one of the chief recruiters at United Airlines. And I said, hey, you know, what do you think I should do for my aviation career? And he said, the only thing I would stop flying for is for an internship at a major airline. So I followed his advice, you know, instructed and you know, applied to the, some internships and I was able to get one. And he said, that's the only thing I would stop flying for. I did it and I made so many great connections and that got me set up with my current airline right now, actually. So I would say intern you know, make sure that you advocate for yourself and keep an eye on your money. I like it. Those are good tips, man. Those are definitely good tips, especially the internship uh, and fly when most people don't. I like that because I didn't want to fly at the 6 a.m. slot. So someone was taking that 6 a.m. slot or 7.30 slot and flying as much as possible. So be that guy or girl. Nope, that was me. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Mark, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, we can debrief for a quick second once we get off, but uh, I look forward to this coming out and I can't wait to share your story. Thanks, man. And uh, feel free, if anyone ever has any questions, you can reach me at mark, M-A-R-K dot Reese, R-E-E-S-E, 35E at gmail.com. Send me any questions you want. You know, if you just have questions on scholarships, you want me to review your resume, I can do all those things. Um, I got 90% of my flight training paid for by scholarships. So if you have any questions, just let me know.
Well, go ahead, reach out. He's a scholarship guy. He knows what he's talking about. So listen to him and reach out to him. Well, cool, Mark. Thanks. I appreciate it and have a good day. Hey, you too, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 142 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's some very useful information about scholarships and how he was able to apply for scholarships and some helpful tips. So go ahead and take those to heart and look into those as well. There's still money out there. So if you're looking to apply, you're looking to, to find some flight training money at the end of the year, it's time to apply for those. Because as he said, you never know, they might just give it to the previous winner because no one applied for the scholarship this year. So go ahead and apply no matter what. Aviation Nation, I hope everyone is having a great day. And as always, happy flying.